everybody. Welcome to Marvel Champions Monthly, a fan podcast about the card game Marvel Champions. I'm your host today, Kennedy Hawk, uh, going solo except for one really special co-host. Today we have with us one of the designers of the game, Michael Boggs. How's it going, Michael? It's going pretty well. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I'm hoping we can have some out-of-this-world discussion about the latest campaign box today. Yeah, I look forward to it. Yeah, so we're going to be talking all about Galaxy's Most Wanted. We might dabble into the two released hero packs, um, Star-Lord and Gamora, a little bit, because those packs have been just complete home runs for me. So I cannot contain myself, and I'll probably ask questions about them. It's great to hear, yeah. Um, um, those were a lot of fun to develop and work on, so I'm happy that, that you're enjoying them. Yeah, they're pretty much like the best thing ever. For people that don't know, do you want to tell people sort of about yourself, your history um, within card gaming and, and at FFG and, and how you've sort of landed into this dream job? Sure, yeah. Uh, my name is Michael Boggs. Um, I have worked at Fantasy Flight for four and a half years now. I originally started at Fantasy Flight as the lead developer for Android Netrunner. After that game finished, I moved on to help uh, with a few other projects, Star Wars Destiny, Keyforge. A um, couple, couple others, and eventually when Marvel Champions started up, I was put on uh, the original team, uh, along with Caleb Grace and Nate French. Uh, since that time, Caleb uh, Grace and I have sort of continued developing Marvel Champions, and um, yeah, I just I, I landed this job just by getting lucky, to be honest. I, I lived abroad for a few years after university. While I was abroad, I spent a lot of time working on kind of my uh, own designs, trying to do like an independent thing. Um, and somehow I was able to leverage that into a position at FFG. So a lot of luck, but um, yeah, I, I, I really love the opportunities that I've had because it's it's a really fun job. It's it's great to be able to work on champions every day. So just as some icebreakers about like the recent releases, you're kind of, it seems like you're rotating back and forth with designers focusing on different, they're not waves or cycles, but like bunches of heroes. So who is your favorite hero to play from the Guardians wave that's been revealed so far? Um, and I guess that's, that's Rocket, Groot, Star-Lord, Gamora, Drax, Venom, and Adam Warlock, now we know. So oh, yeah. um, of those, who's your favorite to play? Oh, that's um, a good question. They, they've all got you know, different, different uh, strengths and weaknesses, all got different play styles. I would say it would probably come down to... Uh, either Star Lord because I really love his you know push your luck mechanism, uh, Drax because you know I like just hitting hard and, and Drax is good for that if you can get him built up, or maybe Venom. I love the number of like weapons you can get down with Venom. Like he just hit three, four weapons down sometimes, and it just feels like you have this whole arsenal at your disposal. So um, it, those would probably be my top three, but the other ones are a lot of a lot of fun too. Nice. Yeah, I've I've really enjoyed Star-Lord the most so far. And the games I actually have the most fun in are the ones I lose. Or, you know, I go down swinging and the rest of my team carries it through. <laughs> so the risk-reward has been more risk for me, but it's been that rewarding. Like Star-Lord, okay. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and then from the Galaxy's Most Wanted box, what are your favorite aspects to play with each of those heroes that aren't like the primary aspect um, they're paired with within the box? So what do you play Groot with? What do you play Rocket with? Oh, um, kind of like the aspects that they're, that they're paired with inherently. But if I had to switch things up, I think uh, Groot in Justice seems to work pretty well. I also really like Groot in Aggression. 
I like being able to use my growth counters to just mitigate like a little bit of damage at a time and sort of ignore his bigger events that kind of need the growth counters and instead just hit really hard with my basic attack, buffing it through like, you know, one growth counter at a time uh, and then use combat training to buff my, my ATK further. Uh, for Rocket, I think he... Rocket's not the best in protection, but I think he, he does pretty well with uh, Justice for the most part. You can you can bust up, uh, buff up your thwart with... Um, Heroic Intuition, and uh, also, um, I can't remember the name of his card right now. Uh, I've got a plan. Thwart multiple times, so that's pretty useful. Um, and then in leadership, too, I have a lot of fun with Rocket. Being able to sort of like stay in alter ego form, basically spend your weapons to draw additional cards, get out allies. Like I, I haven't made a ton of decks that do that, but the couple that I did make were, were fun to play. So can you overview the approach you take when you're tackling a hero design? Um, the heroes you mentioned, they're very diverse. They all have different strengths and weaknesses. So where do you start when you're designing a hero? Generally speaking, you know, we look at the character's story and sort of how they fit within the greater Marvel universe. Um, and a lot of times the character's unique identity will sort of help define some sort of mechanic for that character. So Star-Lord is a great example. Uh, he is <laughs> very much about risk reward just in his you know his personal storyline he's he's always getting himself into these stupid situations but then somehow he's always getting out of these situations um, and oftentimes when we can find one of those core mechanics that we feel represents the character really well uh, we will sort of just push that as far as we can uh, there are situations though where sometimes a specific, mechanic doesn't necessarily speak to a character's story. Um, so I think maybe like Gamora might be another example. She, right now she's got a mechanic where she can, you know, use uh, attack cards and then remove some threat by playing those or play thwart cards and uh, deal damage by playing those. Um, but really when we looked at Gamora originally, all we wanted to do was focus on her martial prowess. Like she's the deadliest woman in the galaxy, I think is the her tagline sometimes. Um, she can pretty much use any weapon effectively. She knows a ton of martial arts. Like she's just someone you don't want to be around because she will beat you up. Um, but how to represent that in the game, like there were a variety of ways that that could be done. Uh, and we tried a couple different iterations. So we eventually landed on one that we thought you know, made her fun to play, gave her versatility, but that it was also not overwhelming in its design. There was a lot you could do, but it was pretty straightforward in how you do it. Um, and sometimes, you know, if the story doesn't necessarily fit into any one mold, then we will try to find a mechanic that fits it as best as we can and then just sort of shape everything around that. So um, at the end of the day, really looking at the character's story is is usually the, the, the starting point, but um, how we sort of get to where the hero ends up, you know, there's a variety of paths we can take. That's perfect. That, that was my follow-up question was, what's the, the theme hook behind Gamora? And it makes sense now. It's all about her her martial abilities. Yeah, yeah. She she originally, uh, I think one of her initial designs, so Jeremy's Warren worked on her quite a bit, and one of her initial designs worked, uh, or focused a lot more on, like, combo cards. I'd play a card, which would let me do a thing and play another card. And that was fun, and I really enjoyed it, but Ultimately, you can have these really complex, heavy turns. And for the most part, that's not what we want Marvel Champions to be. We want it to be a little snappier, a little bit lighter, not as um, not as beard strokey. Your turn shouldn't take, you know, five to ten minutes to resolve. And Gamora's weren't quite that long, but she did have some turns that 
would take a really long time to figure out, oh, if I do this, I can do this or this or this. And um, so, you know, once we streamlined her and kind of got her to um, focusing a little more on the basics, I think it, it kind of made her shine a little bit more. Um, but uh, yeah, it, the, the old design was one that I really enjoyed, but I, I, I think her, her current one is, it's definitely a, a much simpler, much more streamlined. Yeah, that's really neat. Some of that combo feel is still in there with uh, if you've played a thwart before this, do this bonus, or if you've played an attack, it feels like a combo fighter to me. Um, and that, the old design definitely inspired those elements, for sure. Um, so Gamora, in particular, is very event-focused. She really optimizes how you use events, kind of like Miss Marvel did in the first wave of Hero Packs. Is that one of the goals you have, is to sort of make sure each card type has a chance to shine through different hero kits and different uh, aspect additions? Oh, yeah, to, to an extent. We've had conversations in that regard. Uh, most of the time, our focus is just, you know, making the character feel as, as close to characters as we can imagine them. Um, and events especially tend to be just a really good way to give these exciting, bursty moments. Um, so you know, I, I going forward, I I would imagine we will see some designs that focus more on upgrades. My focus on supports, my focus more on allies. But overall, like events are usually a very easy starting point, and and they're usually pretty exciting to play. So I wouldn't be surprised if we saw more heroes who kind of focus on events in the future. So the the guardians we have released so far do a really good job of capturing not just the MCU version of the character, but also the comic version. And I grew up reading the Guardians 2004 run, so this is just perfect for me. So if that was intentional, is there a certain run of Guardians you recommend people read to get familiar with the characters you've been designing? Um, not off the top of my head. So whenever we design characters, um, or at least for myself, I think Caleb's process is a little bit different because he grew up reading Marvel, whereas I grew up like watching the TV shows, playing the video games. I didn't read the comics as much. Uh, so when we start developing characters, Generally speaking, we have a, a large database that we can go to and kind of read the comic books. And I always try to sample as much as I can. Sometimes, I, unfortunately, I don't always get to finish full storylines. Um, sometimes I'm just like looking for, you know, exciting parts or, or parts that like help define who the characters are. Uh, and I look at a sort of a, yeah, a broad array of what's out there uh, because we are trying to represent the character a lot of times, not not as like how they are in an individual issue or even in an individual run, but just sort of who they are, sort of um, uh, just, just kind of what captures their essence as a whole, uh, for, for lack of a better term. So um, off the top of my head, I can't really remember any specific Guardians runs that uh, really stood out, but, but I, I everything I did read, I really enjoyed. So I feel like there's a whole swath of content that, that people could probably pull from and have a great time with. Just read it all, right? <laughs> yeah, just, just do it all. I mean, there's not that many Marvel comics. A couple thousand. When you're picking a nemesis for these characters, do you try to use the same approach? Like, go through a bunch of that character's comic history and figure out what nemesis really works with them? Or do you pick, sort of like you were talking about earlier, a mechanic or a theme, and then base the nemesis around that? The nemesis selection process, it, it usually depends on the hero that we're focused on. Uh, sometimes we will want to pick a nemesis that is easily recognizable. And then sometimes it's fun to pick a, ne a nemesis that, you know, doesn't have so much recognition. I think, I think it's great to sort of break up that pace. Um, we also tend to pick uh, nem nem nemeses um, who um, 
maybe aren't going to interfere too much with upcoming scenarios. Uh, so, so an example of that is um, who was it who had the overlap? Was it was it Taskmaster and Black Widow? I believe, yeah. So Taskmaster and Black Widow, and Taskmaster in the uh, Rise of Red Skull box. That was sort of almost like an exception to the rule a little bit, and we, we will we'll break that sometimes. But for the most part, we want to make sure that when you're playing, your nemesis can come out because that's a pretty impactful moment. So we also don't want to use these huge, big-named characters. Uh, for instance, I don't like uh, a lot of uh, testers ask, oh, you know, we're playing Drax. Should Thanos be the nemesis? And Thanos is too big to be an individual nemesis. He's everyone's nemesis. Um, so, like, for those really popular characters, usually we'll sort of delegate them to uh, their their own scenarios, whereas the smaller characters are the characters that, um, you know, don't have as much recognition. A lot of times they'll be put into the character packs, especially if there's someone totally obscure. Like, that, that's always fun. Uh, an example is um, Rocket's nemesis, uh, Blackjack O'Hare. I had no idea who that was. I'd never heard of that before. Uh, but he's like this, this just wild, crazy bunny rabbit that runs around and blows up stuff. Kind of like Rocket is, you know, just a, a wild raccoon that does the same. So uh, it was it was a lot of fun to research that character and learn more about him. And hopefully it's been fun for the players to kind of see this character that they've never seen before or that they've seen in the comics and, you know, now get to see a, as sort of a, a character that they didn't really expect to come about. Yeah, I think Blackjack and then Drax's nemesis were ones that I had to go find some books and read to learn about them, but that was kind of part of the fun. So that was that was neat and appreciated. Um, is there anything else about sort of the hero design process in this Guardian Waves that you'd want to tell people? Um, any any nuggets or funny stories from when you were testing or designing these characters? Uh, nothing off the top of my head. A lot of these heroes ended up being sort of a, a team effort. So Aaron Holtum, who is working on, uh, I believe, Keyforge at the moment, um, he helped with Rocket and Groot. He sort of set up their initial design. Caleb Grace did the same thing with Star-Lord. He set up their initial design. Uh, Jeremy's Worm did the same thing with, um, with Gamora. And uh, then Caleb and myself sort of tackled Venom's initial design together. And then once those initial designs had sort of been established, uh, it was my job to take each hero through their paces, play test them. Um, aspect cards were you know, introduced sometimes with the design, but it was really my job to fill out the entire deck with aspect cards, basic cards. Um, and it, sort of at the end of the process, Caleb came in, sort of gave his two cents and, and feedback for things he would like to see or uh, maybe certain areas that he wanted to wait to explore until later. Um, and, you know, I, I think really that was maybe the first time we were able to pull in so many talented people on one wave. Uh, in the past, like, uh, we had had... Um, We'd had a couple designers come in and like help with maybe like one hero, but uh, it, I think this is the first time where we had effectively four designers working on this wave, at least a little bit. Um, so that, that that was a lot of fun, and we kind of continued that trend going forward uh, to to some extent. So uh, it was um, it was just a you know really really fun collaborative time. We'll look for more guest designers in the future. Um, I found one more listener question about the, like the hero specific cards. Um, was it a conscious decision to make all the Guardians basic allies so that they could sort of be included with everybody? Or what was the, the intent behind like the play restriction and the, the basic, like not aspect, but non-aspect of the Guardians um, main cast? It was, yeah, yeah. We, uh, so originally they were going to be in, in, 
in specific aspects. I think, uh, for instance, Gamora was an aggression. Drax might have been in protection or so something to that effect. Uh, and then I want to say that it was Caleb, maybe, who, who suggested... It. So Star-Lord's ability to give each ally the Guardian trait, I think that came a little bit later in his design. Um, and so once that was sort of established, Caleb was like, I want to take, you know, the entire team and put them with Star-Lord and Star-Lord can kind of lead. Could we make the Guardians allies as a whole basic so anyone can, you know, play with any, any Guardian ally? And uh, I was extremely excited by the idea. I think that's cool to be able to get out your whole team. Uh, two, you know, more so than the Avengers. The Avengers have had so many members from, you know, so many just different places. The Guardians have two to an extent. Uh, Iron Man joined the Guardians at one point. Ant-Man joined the Guardians at one point. But for the most part, they're a pretty consistent, cohesive team, especially in like the last 10 years or so, five to 10 years. Um, so it just it felt like it made more thematic sense to say like, hey, you if you really want to play this team, you definitely can. Like here are the tools to do so. Um, and uh, but yeah, that that was that was always one of my favorite elements of the wave. So um, it's 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 good to hear that that there's positive reception on that. Yeah, I've seen lots of people um, sneak them into their decks using tricks like make the call and stuff. So it was kind of neat that there were. There was a play restriction, but there were there were ways you could get around it if you needed to. So that was cool. Um, the next topic was sort of scenario-specific questions and questions about the different villains in the galaxy's most wanted box. Um, so one question was that this villain box has, or this campaign box has five villains, and they're all very unique, and they have different hooks, whether it's swarming you with minions or taking cards from your deck away from you or sort of flipping the scenario on its head. So what hook or villain or which two or whatever you want to talk about were your favorite to design? Um, and do you have any insights about how you came to that final design of these different villains? I would say probably, probably my favorite one, but also the most challenging one was Nebula. I want a Nebula to sort of feel like Gamora and that she's focused on martial prowess, martial arts. Uh, but to get that to work within the encounter deck, was was really tricky um and we, we actually flirted there for a while with the idea of having like a, almost like a set aside deck that you're pulling from but we had already done that a couple times in the rise of red skull um and we you know it's it's always in my opinion it's always nice to have things a little more condensed if you can so uh nebula went through a couple iterations um and it really wasn't until closer to the end that we had some really good feed uh, feedback from the playtesters that suggested some alterations on you know how her her um i forget what they're called her technique upgrades or uh, not upgrades attachments could work um so yeah she she took a little little bit to sort of get to, to operate in the, in the manner that that she needed to um but i, I always really like playing with her i love the surprises that she could throw at you I, I personally like, I know I've seen a few people, uh, you know, they're like, oh, she's inconsistent sometimes. She's not doing anything and then she'll explode and hit you with a bunch of stuff. I love that 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 person. I think that's that's fun. You never quite know what to expect. And for me, that's what I want from a cooperative game. I, I don't want to necessarily be able to math everything out and be like, oh, I know I'm going to win in two turns. Um, it's, it's a lot more exciting in my opinion when you can sit down and you're like, well, we're doing well now, but we still got to keep up our guard and make sure that we don't just try to rush things too quickly because she might come back at us with a vengeance. Yeah, at first I, I thought that because of that inconsistency, sometimes she'd be really easy and sometimes she'd be hard. But 
sort of because of the two fronts that you're balancing, like keeping things off her ship, but also dealing with her techniques, it sort of uh, makes up for that variance with having two two battlefronts. Is that something that was intentional, sort of, to to give the heroes two things to focus on, or was that something that just fell out of the story of the design? Yeah, more or less. So, uh, sort of the that that two element dynamic that, that can be found. Uh, I, I believe, like you know, four of the five scenarios. You got you got Badoon with their ship. Uh, you have um, what is it? The Collector Two trying to escape. Then he kind of flips his ship at the end. He's shooting you with damage, and then hers. And then Ronan has his big ship that's sailing extra encounter cards, but you can cancel treacheries. Um, a lot of that really came from how the Milano was intended to work. So when we originally pitched this uh, wave, the idea was just that you had the Milano and you could use it to succeed in scenarios, but we didn't really define it in the vision because we didn't quite know. Like uh, I had different ideas, Caleb had different ideas. We wanted to explore different options. So there was a point where the Milano almost worked like a character. It could take damage, it could attack, it could thwart. Um, and if it got destroyed, you lost. And we played it that way for a little bit. and. It just, it eventually became one of those things where you could very easily math it out. You could kind of decide, like, oh, am I going to let the Milano take damage? If I do, I'm going to lose, so I'm just not even going to use the Milano anymore. Um, and it just, like, it wasn't it wasn't as engaging as, as we were hoping it would. So there were a couple other iterations. One was, like, the Milano, would when it was uh, at a certain amount of damage, it would sort of flip, and it had a damage state, and you could revive it and heal it back. And... Ultimately, you know, at the end of the day, even though we had sort of this spacefaring concept, which in and of itself is has has complexity to it, we wanted to make that as streamlined as possible. So uh, there was a point where I, I think Caleb suggested just taking the Milano and just making it simple. It just gives you a resource, something easy. But there are different things in the scenario that can come up and sort of encourage you to use the Milano for these. You don't have to, but you can. Um, and so I, I think Nebula ship. I don't remember how the old version worked, but uh, this version was sort of, I wanted each ship to feel different from, from the last ship, uh, and, and her trying to escape you was sort of um, uh, the, the kind of what played into her story. So figuring out ways to let the Milano prevent her from escaping you, you're catching up to her, it just seemed like sort of the natural point. And, and I think that's really where the, you know, the two element uh, dynamic comes from there. Yeah, our playgroup got together for our first COVID, post-COVID or during COVID play session now that we're all vaccinated. And they brought up a really good point about the second collector that I wanted to ask you about. Um, so that's their favorite scenario in the box. And part of it is a lot of times when they play Marvel Champions, there's not um, incentive inherently to go punch the villain. It's always stabilize the board, get everything under control, and then go for the villain. Um, but with the collector two, you're sort of incentivized to change your play style and shift your strategy. Is that something that you think we'll see more of, more incentive to to leave other threats on the board and engage with the villain? Oh yeah, absolutely. That that's that's uh one of my favorite things within the box is you know being able to beat up on the collector and being encouraged to beat up on the collector. Um, but really the the entire box as a whole is supposed to sort of nudge the player in that direction a little bit. Uh, in the past, you know, so many of our previous expansions and scenarios, the right way to play, quote unquote, uh, has often been to, you know, clean up everything, keep the board 
totally empty, no minions, no side schemes if you can help it. Keep the main scheme, the threat as low as you can keep it, and then that's when you go after the villain. Um, so for this box, the idea was to make the villains a threat and sort of force you to try to end the game sooner than you might normally try to. Just, you know, sometimes say, okay, yeah, I can defeat this minion, but is investing the damage in this minion and preventing the damage to myself worth just going after the villain themselves? Um, and I, you know, I think, I think Collector 2 highlights that much better than any of the other scenarios do, but the other scenarios are all supposed to nudge the player in that direction at least a little bit. Yeah, I, I think we're getting set up to do Ronin this weekend, and I told them we're going to have to make a decision really early on if we want to stabilize the board or go for the villain, and I know which one I prefer. So we'll see, we'll <laughs> see what the team decides. But. I think that that's one of the, the key strategies to taking down Ronin. Like, Ronin hits hard. He's got a lot of stuff that he throws at you, um, and you know sometimes waiting through that that initial onslaught is is pretty pretty uh, tricky. But if you can get through it, like staying in the game for too long can sort of be your death sentence. If you can focus them down, and uh, I mean it's essentially a race. Like any any scenario has been in the past, it's always a race to see you know who's going to defeat the other first. But Guardians of the Guardians of the Galaxy box just highlights that race a little bit more. Yep. Um, so the, like you've mentioned, the, there's sort of a race in the Guardians of the Galaxy expansion. A lot of the villains, um, people have noticed, have quite a higher difficulty level than we've seen in the past. And this can lead to some casual players and some even experienced players, definitely myself, to struggle. Um, so do you have any tips or advice for players that are struggling with campaign mode? What would you encourage them to, to try or do to balance out this difficulty? Just a disclaimer for everyone, the next... 30 to 60 seconds of this recording, our recording robot decided to cut in and out, um, removing random sentences from the middle of conversation. So I've spliced together as much as I could. Some of it just goes into fast forward overdrive for no reason, but it gets back to normal around 27 minutes. So 60 seconds, bear with us. Thanks. Yeah, so when we were developing uh, the, the Galaxy Most Wanted campaign, there was like the, the, the raise in difficulty is intentional. But it was intentionally raised because there was this um, this idea that the modular sets, because they're swappable, would be more powerful overall. If you were playing a scenario and it just ended up being too challenging for you, then you can swap in another set. Um, and I've actually been, to be honest, a little bit surprised to see that a lot of players don't want to do that. That wasn't the feedback that I got in playtesting. It almost seemed like an exciting element. Like, oh, I can not only change up the difficulty, but I can also change up sort of what's happening in the scenario. Um, but, you know, I, I've, I've seen a lot of comments over the last month or two about how it's, you know, not as thematic or some people just don't have as much fun with it or it feels like cheating in some way, which are all, you know, totally valid points of, of feedback if that's how someone feels. Um, but it wasn't quite what I expected. That wasn't the, the, the feedback that I personally received. Also, that's never been my experience. I love swatching, uh, swapping in the uh, modular sets. So I guess if this is too challenging, uh, or not even too challenging, if you just want to you know, change things up a little bit, you have the power to do so. It's under your control. Um, some of the scenarios just really, really make example that I've seen a lot of people struggle, but um, you know, sometimes when they struggle that they are ignoring what the collector is doing, they're just not to it as much as the scenarios want into it. Um, so, you know, maybe maybe just kind of looking for ways to enhance your play, to refine what you're doing to sort of counterbalance the scenario. Hey, robot's back. Back. <laughs> Hi, robot. Um, 
in the, in the last couple of weeks, I've seen a couple people comment on, you know, how sometimes beating the Badoon, the uh, Badoon headhunter is not always the best strategy because he comes back with powerful cards that have surge. And that's totally intended as well. Like, I, I didn't necessarily want there to always be a clear path. Sometimes getting those two extra points is valuable. You can get very powerful cards. One of my favorite cards is the, uh, it's the five unit cost event that like lets you give a character like two tough status cards. I've gotten so much value out of that one. Uh, so sometimes, you know, if I can push myself up to five units, then I will defeat the Badoon Headhunter so that I can buy that, that card or another card that's, you know, equally powerful. But then sometimes like just letting the Badoon Headhunter wail on you or blocking him with allies or something is the better option and not defeating him is the better option because by defeating him, he comes back angrier later. So um, I think they're, they're, the whole point of the campaign is to sort of put players in a situation where um, there, there's not always the clearest path. Sometimes you have to you know, weigh the pros with the cons. Sometimes it's a risk-reward element. Some people have noted that it's really hard to balance a scenario for a variety of player counts, whether you're, you're balancing for solo or four-player or two-player. It seems like it's a completely different puzzle to solve. So how do you... Um, I guess, how do you balance your, your design process to account for all those different player um, counts that might be playing this, this game? Yeah, yeah. Player counts is definitely one of the, the trickiest parts of, of doing any scenario. Um, I think that, you know, when, when Guardian or when the Galaxy's Most Wanted expansion was being developed, like, it was quite a while ago. And we still very much had a. Uh, focus that was more directed at two and three player. Of course, you know, we still play tested for one and four. We still wanted the game to function at one and four. But um, at the end of the day, like two player and three player was really our intended audience. After the Galaxy's Most Wanted box, that changed a bit. And I think going forward into the, you know, next few waves and cycles, we will see that that sort of philosophy change over time. But for Galaxy's Most Wanted, you know, the 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 intention was at least Two players, generally speaking, or three players. Um, at single player, it's it's a very challenging box, you know, with 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 the extra hazard icons or acceleration icons. You to take on single player, I think you need a well-rounded hero. Generally, you need to really build your aspect cards in your deck to let you do a lot of things and let you exceed in multiple ways. Um, and then at four player, like you know, I, I, four player I think works just about as well as three player. But four player, the game slows down a little bit. Um, so it's, it's, it's yeah, our, our focus was on two and three player for this box uh, because balancing at all of the player counts, it's, it's, it's a very challenging prospect. Like it takes a long, long time to get everything right in every single player count. And sometimes you'll have something perfect in two, three, and four, but then you'll realize, oh, in solo, it's not working quite as intended. So I'll tweak it here for solo play, and then that will mess up the other three player counts. So um, there are times where you just almost have to you know, decide which which focus is better. I find that the villains in this box are very fun, even though they're challenging. I like a bit of a challenge. So I really like, I enjoy Drang in solo, and I really enjoy Nebula in multiplayer. So those are two of my top five here, uh, villains, not heroes. Um, so I call it a success as far as villain design goes. So thanks. That's good, yeah. Yeah, I've seen quite a few people, like, uh, uh, early on especially, people were playing for the campaign with Rocket. Um, and I think it's, 
probably possible if you, if you build your deck uh, well enough. But uh, going through the campaign with a pre-built deck with just Rocket, I, I don't I don't know if you could actually do that because you know Rocket's not a very versatile hero. He's got very low health. Uh, he can he can thwart and he can deal you know big damage, but he can't really defend himself. And even his thwarting potential is sometimes pretty limited. So um, generally speaking, I, I think if if you want to play solo, then finding that hero that is pretty well rounded is, is tends to be uh, the the best way to go about it. Yeah, I'm one of those people that tried Rocket, and then I switched him to leadership so I could just throw allies in front of all the villain attacks, and it worked for a while. So <laughs> that helped. Leadership's good for that. Um, in just in the campaign in general, there's a ton of new mechanics. There's the market and the Badoon Headhunter and these campaign side schemes. What was your favorite new thing that you added to the campaign in this box? Um, I always really loved the market. I like being able to purchase cards, add them to my deck. There's some really powerful options. and You, you know, you got to draw into them, but it's, it's always exciting for me when I can get down one of those Milano mods or um, the, the, the one card I was talking about where you get to put down two top status cards, I think, for zero cost. It, it feels, to me, it feels a little bit like cheating when I can throw those off. Um, but, I, you know, I, I, I believe that Caleb was the one who suggested the Badoon Headhunter, and I've seen a lot of positive feedback just with the concept of someone following you through all of these scenarios and whatnot. So um, those are probably my, my top two, I think. Yeah, the Badood Headhunter was really awesome for me. I just use it in general game nights. If we play four games in a row, every time we defeat him, we like add an extra card to the next scenario. Um, and we've even tried it with oh, like sure, the yeah. Green Goblin scenarios. You put Electro in. If you defeat him, you add the second card, and that's been a blast. So that I really liked that um, sort of aspect. That's cool. Yeah, he he definitely adds a bit of a challenge to the deck with all his surges and whatnot. So. It's it's good to hear that he's being used elsewhere because I, I think he's got a lot of potential to really change up the pace of some scenarios. And then with campaign side schemes, um, how did that idea come up to have something that sort of warped the scenario um, for campaign versus standalone play? I believe those were pitched by uh, MJ Newman or Maxine Newman. Uh, she, she, she suggested some sort of element that you could sort of go after. Um, as as almost like a um, you know just just if you were willing to invest the time and the resources into it, you could get more value out of the market. Uh, so originally we tried those as you know just all all blank on the one side, um, and then it was suggested over time like oh maybe it'd be fun if someone will have abilities when you defeat them or when they come into play, uh, and then for the expert mode. Uh, through testing, it was like, oh, it'd be nice if these were almost a counterbalance to the power that you might have in your deck. Um, so really, those just evolved, you know, through through playtesting and different suge suggestions from internal people, external people. Nice. Um, and then in the latest rules update, the the last campaign side scheme for Ronin became optional. Was that uh, like an intentional change to sort of give players a lever, or what was the the intent behind that? I guess. Yeah, it it was. Uh, you know, I, Ronin. <laughs> I know has given a lot of people headaches. Um, but yeah, so I've seen plenty of comments saying Ronin's too hard. I'm struggling with him. I can't get past him. It's not even fun. It's so hard. Uh, but then I've also seen people say, you know, I like the challenge. It's fun for me. Yeah, I failed seven, eight, nine times, but when I beat them, it feels, you know, I feel successful. So I talked with Caleb about it, and we wanted to introduce a change to Ronan that brought his power down in campaign, uh, 
if somebody wanted it, but also didn't step on the toes of the people who liked the challenge. So making that side scheme optional just seemed like the best bet. If you're finding Ronin in, in campaign too hard, especially if you're playing in like single player or two player, then just get rid of it. You don't have to have it. It was actually that side scheme more than any of the other campaign side schemes that was included to make you know the last boss feel like a big bad. The victory points on it really aren't as important. You can't buy anything from the market with those victory points. I suppose you could count up your total victory points at the end of a campaign, but that's really all it lets you do. Um, it, it, at the end of the day, it was supposed to be sort of a, a lever that you could pull to say, hey, this, this scenario is harder now. Um, but if, if you don't like that challenge, then, then you know, we wanted to make sure that you didn't have to, to deal with it if, if it wasn't fun for you. So just labeling it optional seemed like the, the least as intrusive route for, for people who hate it or people who love it. I think there's people in both camps. Yeah, there definitely are. There definitely are. I noticed uh, there's kind of four ways you can play the campaign too. And when I had originally read the rulebook, I saw like an expert mode and a standard mode. Can you, um, for explain to me like I'm five, I guess, <laughs> what the four different sort of campaign intended difficulties are? Sure. Yeah. So uh, when you down to play a campaign, you are going to choose whether you want to just have a normal campaign or if you want to have an expert campaign. If you have a normal campaign, you'll just follow all of the rules and you'll ignore the gray boxes. If you do an expert campaign, you'll follow all of the rules, but you'll also include the gray boxes, which you know includes um, recording your your hit points at the end of the round. Also, there's a there's a page at the beginning of the rulebook, towards the beginning, uh, that says something along the lines of like you can't change your aspect. So the expert campaign is just there to make the entire campaign experience itself more difficult. Each time you start a scenario within the campaign, you can decide which mode of play you want to play that scenario on. So you can play the standard mode, and you just do all the normal stuff you normally do. You can play on expert mode, where you start on the second stage of the villain, you shuffle in the expert set. Um, you can play on heroic, you can play on skirmish. Uh, you can kind of mix and match whatever you think is going to be fun. It's up to you and your group. Uh, along with that, if you are playing in campaign mode, the side of the campaign side scheme that you'll use is dependent on the individual mode that you choose for that individual game. So let's say I'm doing an expert campaign, but on Drang, I decide that I want to play on standard mode for this expert campaign, then I will use the standard mode side of the campaign side scheme. If I go on to collector uh, and I say, well, you know what, I want more of a challenge this time, Drang was maybe too easy for me and my group, I'm going to play collector on expert mode in the expert campaign, then I'm going to flip the collector's campaign side scheme to the expert mode only side. Um, so, it, you know, it really allows you to sort of tailor the experience to whatever you and your group prefer. Um, because, you know, some people are really wanting a challenge. Some people don't want as much as a challenge. Some people like the idea of not changing their deck. You have to build the perfect deck at the beginning and get to the end. Some people hate that concept. So, uh, it's it's sort of there to let you you pick what is right for you. That's neat. So you can even switch mid campaign, which is a really nice lever to have for people that are banging their head against the wall. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. If you know you're playing Drang and you're like, I'm going to do Drang Heroic One, and then you get that uh, collector, and you're like, I don't actually like Collector that much. I'm going to play him as like skirmish, so I can just beat him as soon as possible. 
totally fine. And then you go to collector two and you can just pick the one again that, that's, that's better for you. Um, the, there's nothing that locks you into any specific mode of play outside of the campaign that you pick. Once you pick the normal campaign or the expert campaign, you keep that type of campaign until the very end of the campaign. Gotcha. And I noticed in the expert campaign, you have to keep your deck the same throughout all the scenarios. What was the the intention behind that new sort of addition compared to the Red Skull? Yeah, that, that was one of those things that sort of came up. Uh, it was closer to the end of testing. I think it was a suggestion from Caleb, actually. We had some feedback that, you know, the expert campaign was fun, but it would be nice if there was there was something else that just made it feel expert, that made it feel like, you know, you were, you were actually achieving something. Um, and uh, Caleb suggested it. I thought it was an interesting idea. We tested it, and you know, feedback was positive on it. So um, I, I know that's one of those elements that some people have just they, they don't like. They've chosen to ignore, which is fine. If you really hate that rule, it's not a big deal if you change your deck. Uh, but it's really there for the people who who think, hey, yeah, building that deck and getting to the end sounds like a fun concept. Let's do that. Yeah, I'm one of those deck tinkerers, so I like to change it between every scenario, and hopefully you can confirm, but I've told people FFG's not going to hunt them down and police them if they change their decks. No one will know. I actually will. I will wait outside of the window. Okay, well, I'm going to disconnect really quick. And <laughs> <laughs> No, I think uh, there's lots of good things that happened in this box, and lots of good things to come. I know a lot of people have mentioned, like you said, that they like the new modules because they're very thematic to the campaign scenario. And based on what we've seen for the next box, um, I'm hopeful that we can anticipate some more cosmic modules to to make really thematic scenarios with the villains in both boxes. So that's pretty exciting. Yeah, I think we'll definitely get some more of that. That'll be a lot of fun and tell some good stories to mix in. Nice. Well, that was, that was sort of all my prepared questions. Um, is there anything else you want to offer the Marvel Champions community about the Galaxy's Most Wanted box and this Guardians wave that we're in the midst of right now? Uh, not off the top of my head. You know, I, I, I've stayed on top of, of all of the feedback and seen the comments and stuff. I know that this wave was a bit more polarizing than I, I hoped it was going to be. Um, but overall, you know, as the game continues on, my hope is people will be able to return to this, this wave and, and uh, maybe achieve things that they weren't able to before. Uh, in my mind, that's exciting to not necessarily be able to, to beat everything with these right out of the box to say, hey, I can come back to this later and, and try it again and maybe succeed where in the past I failed. Um, and, and I'm hoping that, that players will, will find that exciting as well. All right, and then I've got one final request or recommendation. So I think you're the person that uh, convinced us all to try playing Claw on Heroic 3 with Doomsday Chair once upon a time. So do you have a, a challenging scenario or a difficult scenario you'd encourage the community to try to, you know, bang their heads on until they can complete? Hmm. Um, that is a good question. Say Nebula with... Um, How about Expert Heroic 1 Nebula with the Electro Modular Encounter? Nice. I think I can handle Heroic 1. Heroic 3, I might just, I might just cry again. We'll see. 
our own three, that whole suggestion was really meant to be like, you know, good luck if you can achieve it. I don't know how many people can. Um, I thought somebody would get it eventually, but I haven't actually had anyone report to me yet that they've gotten it. So that might have been stretching it a little bit. But yeah, I think Hororock 1 is, is doable for sure. Perfect. Well, that was all the questions we had for today. Thanks for coming on and thanks for working on this awesome game that I assume if people are listening to this, that means they care and like the game. So um. yeah, hopefully. <laughs> No, I, I appreciate you having me on. It was a lot of fun. Thanks again, and we'll catch you again later.